This episode is brought to you by Shady Brook Farms. If you're looking for ways to make mealtime healthier in the new year, make your favorite recipes with turkey from Shady Brook Farms. Take the pressure off. Keep it simple and tasty without sacrificing flavor for nutrition. Whether you want a delicious sandwich or a post-workout protein, Shady Brook Farms turkey can do it all. Visit ShadyBrookFarms.com for recipe inspiration and to find retailers near you. Shady Brook Farms. Eat what you love. It's three-time Pro Bowler and Super Bowl champion Keyshawn Johnson. I want to introduce you to my new show, All Facts, No Breaks. I'll be giving you the real reactions to the latest sports news and inviting guests in the sports and entertainment world to break it all down. Tune in and make sure you listen and subscribe on Spotify. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. I mean, if it's Got not it. if it's not useful, then we won't use it. But yeah, and you know, we'll just talk to each other. It's just here. Yeah. Here. Okay. It's fine. <laughs> Thank you for watching that with me. Yeah. You just watched uh, Mission Joy. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was called. It's basically about the friendship of Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama. Mm-hmm. And we were just talking about wellness as a skill that you can learn as opposed to something that's only for certain brains or bodies or whatever. Yeah. So we really liked, I really liked that there, there's a segment that I really enjoyed about taking what it was. It was a couple of monks and there's people who have meditated. Yeah. So, so and put uh, them through some brain scans. Yeah. And they, they had a control group of people who had never meditated, same gender, same age, mm-hmm. and then monks, Tibetan monks specifically, because the Dalai Lama was like heading up this process with a neuroscientist, um, and put them in a situation where they would feel pain <laughs> and see what their brain does, yeah, basically. Right. And so, the what that displayed, first of all, the doctor on the TV, it was really interesting to be able to see that he was like, people thought we were crazy for trying to measure joy. Study kindness and compassion. To study kindness and compassion versus what most studies are trying to do, which is trying to understand anger and depression. Well, and, and that's what he was doing. Like the scientist who, whose name I'm forgetting is like, he was saying most of my career up till that point was studying the quote unquote disturbed mind. Right. right. It was studying anxiety. It was studying fear, just studying depression. And the Dalai Lama was like, why can't you use these same scientific tools to study kindness? Right. Wild. <laughs> yeah. So they put them through these scans and essentially showed on screen the difference between the pain centers lighting up at you know, which, what different times for people who had meditated versus people who are not doing that practice. And there's like a low tone and a high tone that would, that would play. And as like a warning signal of sort that like, 
They in a, know in a that few if seconds. a high tone plays in 10 seconds, you're going to get, on, on this wrist, you're going to get a really hot, painful zap. And right. if it's a low tone, you know in ten, 10 seconds you're going to get a warm feeling, but it's not going to hurt. Right. So essentially, the people, people's brains who have meditated or not even just meditation, but prayer and like kind of regular mindfulness practices that quiet practices. quiet practices that when they felt, when they heard the chime or the buzz that they're the people who had meditated kept their brain calm until the moment of physical pain to which the brain then lit up. Yep. The pain but then, lit up normally, but then immediately started to recede. Whereas mm-hmm. the person who, who haven't had, hasn't gone through regular meditative practice had started to amp up their pain centers in their brain the second that they heard the noise. Yeah, the pain, The second that they heard the noise, nothing was happening. It was just the noise. Mm-hmm. It was the warning signal, and all their pain centers lit up. Right. And then they stayed lit up through that 10 seconds, through the pain actually happening, and then they continued to stay lit up after. Mm-hmm. So it was like they couldn't let go of the pain. They right. were like ruminating on the pain, and it was sh- it was clear in their brain scans. Right. Even though pain wasn't physically happening. And so the takeaway there was that, like wellness is a skill. Is that what he said? Right. Yeah. To take. Yeah, because again, like the monks registered pain, but then released it the second that the pain wasn't happening. So they, in essence, had practiced the skill of being present with the sensations that are present in the moment, right. not ruminating on them. Right. And it's backed up by those brain scans. And right. yeah, that was the profound, what he called like radical finding, basically, was that wellness is a skill that can be learned. Mm-hmm. And so, and for me, especially because he was studying depression and things like that beforehand, for him to get to that point tells me that there's like so much scientifically backed hope for people who feel like they can never be well because they have X, Y, and Z thing going on. You know, like Mm. I have depression, I have anxiety. I'm talking about me personally now, like I have mild OCD and none of those things are at the forefront for me anymore because I've practiced the skill of meditation. Right. And it sounds, and it's so funny because now that wellness is such a, I don't know. I think there's, as an industry, there's a lot of like interesting things going on, but it's, there's like a lot of memes around of like, oh, just meditate. Oh, just do these things. And it becomes this idea of like, oh, well I should be able to just turn it on and off. Right. And it's like, no, not necessarily, but yes, you can, if you practice it, Mm -hmm. like that wellness is a skill that can be learned. Well, I think, I think the assumption that is that if you learn how to meditate or do spiritual practices that you'll never feel pain ever again. Right. And that is not true. But you'll just learn how to not hold on to pain unnecessarily. Like really uh-huh. the the thing that I pick up from spiritual leaders, especially in this case of like Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama was really this feeling of, of, um, of that, that joy is not the, the deprivation of pain or the, the absence of pain, but it's that you feel it as you need to feel it. And you are able to come back to center or let it go or to feel the other side of, of what pain gets you to, to feel through it and feel joy on the other side of it. Like there's, 
it's much more complicated than that, but it's also much simpler than that at the same time. Yeah. Well, they were talking about joy as being, um, it's a result right. and not something that you chase, you know, like joy, right. joy is a result of, um, which makes me think of compassion to yourself which, and then bringing compassion to others, which makes me think of that. First of all, that idea that meditation is some sort of shortcut to joy Mm-mm. and that I've experienced a lot of people who are trying to use spirituality or meditation as like a drug. or yoga <laughs> or dancing or movement or whatever as this like means to reach mental orgasm right. at any given time to try to access pleasure without experiencing pain. Right. Cause there's this, there's a, there's this like, it's like almost this idea of meditation as a way to, to bypass or avoid pain. And I feel like this scientific study and like this whole thing is talking about the fact that it's just a normal part of our nature as being in the human existence. Just like we're going to feel pain and suffering and that's yeah. just part of it. It's right. not ever something that we're going to be able to get rid of. Right. But you don't have to hold on to it longer than it's actually happening. Yeah, and and much of the time it feels like the the work of spiritual leaders and I'm attuning myself to the, this kind of like what I'm looking for that I can actually be a support for in life is not necessarily the avoidance of suffering which tends to be the case, especially in American culture. There's a, there's a pain, very low, low pain tolerance, low suffering tolerance. And that's actually bringing us more suffering ironically. Yeah. Yeah. That we have a bit of a pain management system, not a health care system in terms of that. Not a wellness system, not a wellness system. Um, but that it's helping to alleviate unnecessary suffering, Mm -hmm. meaning suffering that is caused by the, impedance of sovereignty people living their lives and other people feeling like they need to bully or own other lives or take control of other lives in order to feel important or to feel a sense of purpose or to justify a negative relationship to a spiritual or religious mission or something like that and that to me reads as unnecessary suffering versus just just the necessity of life of going through things that involve suffering. Yeah. And that leads me to like this other thing that I took away from this from Mission Joy is mm-hmm. what it's called, right? Mission Joy. Mm-hmm. Um, it was on Netflix. Mm-hmm. The other thing I took away, or at least that I picked up in particularly the work that Desmond Tutu did through apartheid, and in South Africa, especially while Nelson Mandela was in jail and for 27 years years and doing a lot of work is this idea of commitment. Because for myself, my lately I've been feeling like I'm trying to find this way to not get trapped in the political extremes of, of what people are saying or what it looks like Mm -hmm. to be that and try not to be that. But there's also this other area of not getting trapped in non-commitment yeah. by being trapped in the middle or 
by saying I'm not that, and therefore by default I'm doing good for the world. Yeah, because uh, yeah, there's so many things that just came up in my brain while you were saying that, so I'm going to try to sort through them in an orderly fashion. But one of the things that I was just thinking about was that we have a tendency to, like, I'll give my own example, is leaving the evangelical Christian church and then for a long time being, like, anti-Christianity. Yeah. And it's like Ram Dass talks about if you're hating on the thing or anti the thing, it, it still has you. Like, yeah. you're still part of that polarization. It's the same energy. It's right. the exact same energy. Right. It just is a, in a different costume. Right. Um, and when you were talking about commitment, I think that's something that does seem to be a real problem, is that a lot of us are leaning more towards, like, centrism and being in the middle and seeing a little more of the complexity of the situation. But, again, for me, that's been very... Um, demoralizing the last year in that it's it's I've let it make me impotent in mm-hmm. like sharing my beliefs and opinions and feelings about things yeah. because I'm like oh well if I'm not at the extremes there's just so much noise right you know and I don't want to add to the noise and that to be committed you have to be at the extreme right is, is the yeah, belief. there's kind of this there's a lot of language policing which is really unhelpful. And I'm sure that we'll talk about that more because I've been wanting to talk about it for a long time. Yeah. Um, but also, which is more about permission than the language, which is a teaser for that. Yes. <laughs> it's more about the audacity of saying what you want, as opposed to following the either liberal or whatever the fuck, <laughs> like, um, or, or prescribed language yeah. that we're supposed to be using. Mm-hmm. Um, but another thing that I was thinking about is that it's like, I think of Desmond Tutu as, like, committed, but I almost think more of the word devotion. That he's, he has a devotion to humanity. Yeah. And Dalai Lama talks about it, too. He's like, I'm never thinking about people in terms of their roles or Mm. their titles. I'm just always looking at them as human beings. Yeah. And it's interesting because in the beginning of this documentary, they say, like, oh, these two could not be more different. And it's interesting because I also think they could not be more the same. Yeah. In that they're both... They're kindred. They're kindred spirits, and they're both devoted to humanity. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter where... Through the lens of their their religion and spiritual experience and... Yeah, those are the country. tools. Yeah. yeah, those are the tools to get them there. Yeah. Um, but it's really a devotion to humanity and and human the human experience and and compassion. Right. Um, and meeting people where they are in the present, which brings me all the way back to the meditation experiment. <laughs> yeah. Um, because also Dalai Lama talks about in that documentary. Um, wise selfishness versus foolish selfishness Mm. (laughs) and part of devotion to humanity like the only way that you can do that with compassion is to um cultivate the compassion for yourself and your inner peace like it has to come from the inside out it can't be from the outside in um and so he talks about that he's like the wise being wise selfish (laughs) means that you know you need to take care of yourself and your heart and your spirit Mm-hmm. And, you know, mindfulness, meditation, all of that first. Yeah. And then that is a conduit for being devoted to humanity in right. like a compassionate way. Yeah. Um, and then the foolish, the foolish selfish is just wanting to do things for your own benefit. Yeah. You know, I think the only reason your own pleasure even I love the word devotional or devoted mm-hmm. because because it feels more of a spiritual practice to me. 
Yeah. I think the only reason I use committed is so that I could say non-committal because mm-hmm. I think that's what a lot of people are experiencing. Yeah. Or, or like freeze. Or default to, I guess. Yeah. Or I've noticed my, I should say I notice myself yeah. at times defaulting to creating, like I, I'm, I feel no longer, this is me personally, but I feel no longer naive to the idea that there is good and evil in the world, but my definitions of good and evil are not necessarily like biblical or mythic. Yeah. Can we talk about our definition of good and evil has to do with consciousness? Because I think that's really. Yeah. I, I, I think of good as, um, conscious, aware, uh, awake, open, open, uh, doing, doing, uh, being, being helpful, supportive, Mm -hmm. um, putting, giving more into the world than you're taking. Yeah. Um, I mean, that could also be a tactic totally. to get. Yeah. So that's like, there's a carefulness there. Yeah. It's but I think, heart intention. I think good if I'm really getting to the, if I'm getting to the nitty gritty of it, I think good is a net positive of the human experience, mm. adding to the net positive of the human experience. Right. By the net positive, I mean is like, do people have resources? Are they able to, you know, survive and feel loved and have the, you know, light and guidance and love and support and belonging and and opportunity? Um, You know, I I feel like those things are good for all humanity to feel. And I think on the other side, what I would defer to as evil, Mm -hmm. and I say that in quotes. Yeah. Um, is being unconscious, mm-hmm. being ruthless, being, yeah. I mean, there, there are times when you have to be ruthless for the sake of good. So ruthless is maybe not the best word. But I think but, like good being conscious and evil being unconscious has, is really profound. It's way too simplistic, but it also is like, for me has become a really helpful, simple frame. I think deeply, I, like, un, I think deeply unconscious. Yes. Deeply yeah. unconscious. Um, not just like saying you don't know when you actually know, you know, like, yeah. but ignorant in some sense, Yeah, it's not ignorant. It's literally mm. just at a place. It, what it makes me think of mm-hmm. is the Rumi poem, which is very long. So I won't quote the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's a Rumi poem where he talks about seeing himself as all of these elements and all of these different kind of people and experiencing himself as consciousness. And he's talking about how he is, He's like, I'm both the poor slave girl on the ship who threw herself over the side because she was just raped. And I'm also the pirate who did the raping because Mm -hmm. I'm not conscious yet to love and I'm not able to love. And it's like, just not in a developmental even like place on a soul level to be able to know the difference. Right. And so that's really interesting to me thinking about it like Mm -hmm. that, especially as someone who's come from a background of very like moralistic lens of good and evil. Like, Oh, these people are evil because they don't believe the same thing as me. Right. You know? And I, and I don't think of good and evil as like permanent states either. They're not, especially if we're talking about it being conscious and unconscious because unconsciousness eventually with enough poking (laughs) and like, you know, 
fermentation, for lack of a better word, can yeah. like turn into something else. Right. Become consciousness. And, and I guess one of the reasons I brought up the good and evil ideas that I made me think of the the idea of devotion, commitment, made me think of what what someone or at least what I find valuable to be devoted to. And Ken Wilber has this 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 um sort of three things that he's that he says is like what he's essentially devoted to and it's it's good truth and beauty mm-hmm. and depending on your your developmental <laughs> lens that can mean very very different things yeah but i think those who are seeking on some sort of spiritual path or trying to improve their lives or trying to you know to, to put it bluntly, like get over your own shit. Mm-hmm. Like there is a beacon in a direction. And I feel like the beacon in a direction is towards goodness, truth, and beauty, trying to understand and see things as they are, which is what allows that person in the MRI scanner who has done spiritual practice and, and meditation, they're responding to what is, mm-hmm. they're not responding to their own imagination. Right. That's why they're responding to the actual pain and not the anticipation of the pain mm-hmm. and or not the, the clenching of the pain after or the memory of the pain mm-hmm. and continuing to hold it. Yeah. Which and is like, what that is. <laughs> what I'm thinking about how such a wild thing to say in the climate right now, of how much we're talking about like trauma and uh-huh. things like that, like, yeah. which I think is also a very important conversation. Yeah. But something that I've noticed in the conversation is that we're starting to get, some of it is starting to get to a place where we're so fixated on the trauma Uh that we can't be present. Like Mm -hmm. we can't practice these things. We can't like we're clenching onto the trauma and that's actually creating more breakage. Mm -hmm. Like I'm like holding my hands together as I'm saying this. And it always makes me think of, um, when I was in, uh, college and I was in my first modern dance class and I remember being so <laughs> triggered for lack of a better word by my teacher because she was like here here's this really complicated movement phrase okay like now go do it yep and I was like I can't mm-hmm. and she was like you don't know and also yeah no you can't <laughs> yeah. yeah but like you have to do you have to just try and embody it and feel what it feels like and then yeah. yield into the floor as opposed to like being afraid, like inhaling, that's when you get, that's when you get injured is when you clench up. Right. Cause you're not open. You're not yielding. You're not surrendering to what is in the moment. Right. You're thinking about all the other moments. And by the way, like I'm thinking about things that I'm working through with like things with my parents and my childhood and stuff. And it's like the Dalai Lama in this documentary talks about that, that there's different ways to look at things. You know, he became a refugee when he was 24 yeah. He lost his country. Yeah. He's never been back. Yeah. You know, um, 54 years of yeah. being a refugee. Uh-huh. And um, Desmond Tutu talks about how, by rights, the Dalai Lama should be able to be a sourpuss. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Because <laughs> that sucks, you right. know? like You deserve to be sad. You deserve to be sad. You're a yeah. refugee. Like, all of these things. And the Dalai Lama kind of giggles. Mm-hmm. Um, highly recommend watching this just for their giggles, by the way. It's so good. It is pretty, it is pretty infectious, <laughs> um, yeah. But he just giggles and says, yeah, I mean, you can look at it through one perspective and say, oh, how sad, oh, awful, oh, traumatic, you know, I'm adding that. And Or you could look through it another way as an opportunity. 
and he was saying like, you know, I could have stayed in that gilded cage, but I prefer to be a refugee because I can help more. Like I can be open more. I can bring compassion to the world. And so basically the point with that is that there's more than one way to look at things. And, um, part of meditation practice is being able to mentally, like cognitively shift how you look at things. To reframe. Reframe. Cognitive reframing. That's part of the Buddhist practice is Mm -hmm. cognitive reframing. Yeah. Which is usually a, usually a positive practice. There's actually certain personality types and NFJs usually, Mm -hmm. or NJs, I should say, that use introverted intuition. And we're talking about Myers-Briggs. With personality types. Yeah. Um, that can kind of almost abuse that. Mm. But I think most people would benefit from cognitive reframing of taking a, of, of, of at least not getting fixated on one specific narrative, narrative, mm-hmm. right? Whereas it's possible to ignore sadness that you actually need to feel right. as well mm-hmm. with reframing. So it's like, there's great care there. And the the idea is like, even though it is like, it's like trauma, I feel is, is a real thing people experience. Mm -hmm. And it's very real in the moment for people. And, and it can be something that is impeding life movement for a long time. Yeah. That really like messes up the system. But it's also really tricky to not, cling to it as a narrative that defines your life and that you're always going to be like this and you're always going to be stuck like this. Mm-hmm. You'll never, never heal. Now, like there are things that can never change. Like I lost my brother. I lost yeah. my uncle recently. I lost mm-hmm. two other family members yeah. in the last couple of years. That's not going to be undone. Mm-hmm. That's a thing that really happened. That's a trauma. That's like, that's just a very real part of my experience. But I also am living with it. And when it comes, especially as I'm talking about it, you feel it, breathe into it, and then I I have to let it go. I can't can't hold it forever because that's just going to clench, clench, clench. And uh, there are times throughout the mission joy documentary and thank you again for sharing it with me mm-hmm. that you really feel the balance of joy and pain mm-hmm. pleasure and pain essentially yeah. in keeping everything balanced and centered mm-hmm. because i think ramda said something to the effect of without the giant peaks of joy, the dips are not as bad either. Mm-hmm. It wasn't any, put anywhere right. like that, but yeah. it's the idea that if you're keeping everything balanced, you know, you're by not trying to live a life of heightened pleasure all the time, highs and joys and dopamine hits and, mm. and opiate hits and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right. that the dips are not going to be as deep to balance that out and that that balance is there and necessary. Like I've talked about it on my podcast over 500 episodes about my highs and dips. Like that's been a theme. Well, yeah. And like if you're chasing extremes, 
if like that's what you're going after and also can relate because for most of my life as an ENFP Enneagram 4 <laughs> yes yeah, yeah. extremes like mm-hmm. highs and lows mm-hmm. but it's almost like this graph of like the more you're leaning into trying to have these extreme experiences which I feel like also comes from not not being satisfied just in like the baseline of existence yeah. you know you get extreme crashes along with the extreme highs, which you know personally too. Well, which is interesting that you say that because I've noticed within myself and other people, you being an Enneagram 4, maybe you can speak to this. Yeah. There's pleasure in pain. Yeah. There's pleasure. Well, Enneagram 4s, we're like, we're so good at just like soaking in the mud. Well, this this is another (laughs) thing that's maybe not very PC to say, but sometimes people cut themselves to for joy they cut themselves to feel something right right and i'm not saying it's like a ha 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 i'm cutting myself like that's not what it means no what it means is that there is a release of chemicals as the result of feeling joy or results of feeling pain yeah that yeah that inherently balances out the pain that you're feeling it might be less like cutting for joy because as someone who did cut a bit um in my teen years like it's more like cutting for release and then that release ends up bringing like relief right yeah it's not really like cutting for joy it's like trying to feel anything and also i should probably separate the word joy from pleasure because joy and pleasure are not the same. that's really what i mean is like a relief or pleasure yeah some sort of a release yeah and i'm not even saying that like incriminatingly yeah. i'm not i'm not like trying to call anyone out or try call you out by no, saying that just, i'm just bringing the balance but i'm like just talking through it like yeah. i'm talking with you to talk through that that thought process mm-hmm. of this interesting either way if you try to sink just into self-deprecation <laughs> or bringing up past traumas all the time yeah. or even physically like hurting yourself mm-hmm. that that may also be in the pursuit of pleasure mm-hmm. as like a temporary fix or a temporary avoidance or some sort of temporary, yeah. you know, away and <laughs> from what is. Well, it's interesting because it makes me think of another thing that like when the Dalai Lama was talking about wise selfishness versus foolish selfishness. Yeah. Um, and he was talking about foolish selfishness being doing things just for you. Yeah. Um, versus doing things for you for then also the benefit of the all too. Right. Um, actually made me think of the scientific study that they did to accompany that. Yeah. Um, that was talking about how they did all of these um, clinical trials, basically. Um, but instead of medicine, it was like happiness things, like mm-hmm. things that practices for happiness and like what happens on the DNA level of people when they regularly help people. And the person who was doing the study was talking about how when people help someone else to help the other person, they usually experience joy. And they experience it for weeks afterwards. Right. And then when they're helping someone in order to make themselves feel better, Mm -hmm. they experience joy in the moment. Right. But it does not last. It's a shorter hit. It's a shorter hit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's like, yeah. 
So it made me think of that when you mentioned that. That is an interesting distinction. In so you could do the same activity, but with a different intention. Yeah. It's either medicine or not. Right. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. I, I just appreciated experiencing, like there is, like, it's just, a, it's such a, that's why the, the importance between the joy and pleasure distinction is important mm -hmm. in that I, I, I've personally, and also having experienced it through what we just watched, mm -hmm. joy is all of it. Joy is satisfaction. Joy is satisfaction. Yes. That was the word. Life. That was the joy other word. Joy is bigger than happiness. Like, yeah. And they talk about it in the beginning. It's right. like people are always going after. It's interesting that even in our constitution, it's like, quote unquote, the pursuit of happiness, right? Mm -hmm. It really fucked us. Because yeah. when you're pursuing happiness, you won't find it. Yeah. Joy is a byproduct of satisfaction from a meaningful life. Yeah. It, and it, happiness is a sensation. Pleasure is a sensation. But yeah. joy is like a deeper bedrock, longer lasting thing. Well, and I, I think it's okay to pursue things. Yeah. But, but it's... I think like happiness as this like permanent state is an illusion, but joy is, is this whole everything, right? Mm -hmm. Like we were saying, uh, satisfaction is such an interesting word too. And that satisfaction is relative to our expectations. Mm -hmm. Satisfaction is like, I'm very satisfied just sitting here talking to you. Yeah. Like I'm nothing's missing. Nothing's no. imperfect. I don't need anything. I'm starting to get a little hungry. Yeah. But like we'll probably have to wrap this up for but, our, but, our hunger needs. But, <laughs> but you know, like that's not necessarily distracting me from enjoying the moment. Yeah. And there is this there's something about thinking about continually holding on to traumas or sadness or depression, not talking about chemical needing help from doctor depression. Right. But by the way, I take SSRIs. I'm on antidepressants and that helps. Yeah. Like, I mean, modernism yeah. is very powerful in yeah. plenty of things that are helping people to stay alive. And yeah, it's and, a balance of the yes and yeah. Right. And those are conversations with a therapist and a doctor, et yeah. cetera, et cetera, for legal reasons. Cause this is being recorded. Also, we're not therapists and we're, we're not therapists talking about we're, our experience. We're just humans talking <laughs> as I have been for the last 500 episodes. Yeah, um, but now I'm here too. But now you're here with too. With my voice. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, what was I saying? I was saying um, that yes. This, so sometimes this clinging, or I feel that sometimes this clinging to trauma is an aspect of being unsatisfied with some sort of expectation or specific expectation that you want out of your sadness. Mm -hmm. Like you want someone else to feel bad. That would make you feel satisfied or you want your parents to feel something that would make you feel satisfied or something that like is a almost unattainable uh, type of satisfaction. You want out of the present experience and you want out of the present not, experience. Yeah. It's like in, a, in essence, you're not um, being present with reality. You're yeah. being present with all of your expectations of what you want reality to be. And when I say, when I say you quote yeah. unquote, I'm talking about like my experience, like, cause that's what I've yeah. felt for a long time. I, I blame my parents for a lot of things right. or I blamed 
my work or my circumstance or even my mental health or whatever. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was me continually, continually not accepting or not appreciating things as they are. Yeah. And I think Michael Singer just talks about over and over of like getting out of your own way. Mm -hmm. And there's this really beautiful illustration that he has of like, it's like you're a bird that's fallen on the water and you've forgotten that you have wings. (laughs) It's like the water is, and so you want to get out of the water. So you start moving and you start panicking and you're making the water move faster. And you're like, Oh no, this water's out to get me. (laughs) And (laughs) the waves are so big. The waves are so big. And then like your first thought is like, Oh, I hope someone, I hope the waves will just stop. But then you're still thrashing. And then if you're on Twitter, you yell that someone should stop these waves in the world. (laughs) Yeah. Someone else should stop the waves or maybe something will come along and save me all the while forgetting that you have wings and you are, you are not a part of the water No, that you can be present and you have sovereignty and you have choice and you have the ability to be present and devote yourself to something, devote yourself to practice regularly mm-hmm. and devote yourself to joy and putting out, putting good juju in the world, juju. so to speak. Yeah. You know, I don't, I'm, I, I always end up sounding preachy when I know the, that the audio is recording, but no, we're just, we're really <laughs> just like talking about our own experience. Yeah. Um, because as you were talking about that, I actually thought about something that I shared this weekend with our friends, Joel and Antonia, a personality hacker. Like, we spent a weekend with them. And I'm still post-processing because we always do some really intense deep dives. Yeah, yeah. Um, And one of the things I shared that feels really relevant is myself learning to practice holding paradox of, like, what is as Mm. part of my satisfaction practice. Yeah. Um... And the example of that that I brought up was, so I've had an interesting relationship with my parents. I think everybody has an interesting relationship with their parents because they're the ones that like trigger you the most in some ways. And like, they really, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. There's a lot of expectations attached. Yeah. There's a lot of expectations and for both directions (laughs) in both, in all the directions. And for a really long time, I was really upset that my relationship with my parents wasn't the way that I wanted it to be. Yeah. Right. Like, um, that it didn't match the expectations or like the high hopes that I had. And so I've recently shifted into this place of allowing myself when the grief for that comes up, I feel it and I let it move through me. Yeah. And also I'm starting to reckon with just, just the reality of the situation and finding a lot of satisfaction in let me let me call my mom and just see how she is in this present moment and try to be with her as a human being right now. Yeah. Just as she is. Right. You know, um, like Ram Das says, like just being like, Oh, how'd you get in that one? <laughs> you know, yeah. just like being with the other human yeah. in who they are right now. Yeah. And not and it's so hard because we're so used to like, you know, holding on to our narratives and our images of the person um, that has been them in the past, but really like it's, it's not fair because they're not the same person mm-hmm. anymore. Absolutely. You know, thanks for letting me record this. Yeah. I want to have you on the show more. 
Yeah, so I guess what, that, y'all? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I just want to talk to you for a yes. second. Um, I just, I think, we've talked about this offline, but it's the idea that I want to bring you on because we have such com- great conversations mm-hmm. around these kinds of topics. So many, lo- like, hours-long conversations that afterwards we've been like, we, we should have been recording this. Yeah, yeah, you and, you and I bring different perspectives Thinker, feeler, masculine, feminine energy. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, I don't know, opportunity to talk about a lot of different things that, I, I frankly, I'm kind of just talking about myself. And um, I've done 500 episodes on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I want to start to evolve this thing into the next stages of what it is, which still touches on some mental health things, perhaps at times, but mostly uh, it, it's creative energy. Yeah. And we'll touch on that more specifically as we go. So thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Let's go make some dinner. Let's go make some All food. Right. Bye.